Welcome to another great message at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. 1 Corinthians 10 is where we're going to be today. And I'm not so much going to read 1 Corinthians 10 as I'm just going to touch on a few points from 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, if you're visiting with us today as a church, we love the Bible, we love the Scriptures, and so what we do is that we work through different books of the Bible. And, uh, and our hope is that by the time uh, we leave this earth and uh, we go home to be with Jesus, that we have already at that point gone through the Bible several times together, the whole Bible. We'll do all of it eventually, uh, but we have done some of the major books in the Bible. We've done one from the Old Testament in Jeremiah, many from the New. And we're currently in this year doing 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians is a letter written by Paul to the church in Corinth, and they were struggling. They were having some issues. The culture of the day was seeping into the church. It was corrupting their belief. It was making them look towards themselves rather than to Jesus, and it was messing some stuff up in their lives and in their church. And so they're having this back and forth conversation with Paul where he's addressing certain things with them, and he's talking to them about how we get to be different even though we're in this world. So you may have heard this before, a little bit of a Christian cliche, but, but we are in the world, we're not of the world. We're also for the world. We're not against the world. Jesus came to die for the sins of the whole world. So we're not, we're not kind of people that want to remove ourselves and say, well, we'll just be a little holy huddle on the side. No, we're in this city and we're for this city. We're, not, we're just not of this city. In other words, our home is in heaven. We come from another place. The Bible says that we are ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador is somebody that has come from his homeland to a foreign land to represent that land. And we come here as representatives of heaven. We are the representatives of Christ. We are the ambassadors of Jesus. We have another home. We are citizens of another place. And that place is heaven. It's with God. It's the eternal kingdom. And so how incredible that every single person in this room gets to be a representative and an ambassador in a world that doesn't know what heaven looks like, that doesn't know the grace of God or the power of God or the goodness of God. We get to be those people that come and represent Jesus. And that's why we need to have a heart for our city. That's why we say that our hope, our vision, what we live for is to share the hope of Jesus with our city. Our, the word city is in our vision. In fact, we're not just Anchor Church, we're Anchor Church Joburg, because in this city, we want to be a witness to the people of, 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 of what God can do in their lives. And so it would be a mistake for us to see church as just a place that we go to to get what we need. No, it's a place we go to to be equipped in order to bring to this city what the city needs. Your friends, your family, the city is made up of people. God doesn't really care so much about the buildings and the roads and the infrastructure. He cares about the people. And this, in this city, in Joburg, we have millions of people. If you take the greater metropolitan area, we're talking about like 11, 11 or 12 million people. They say at least a quarter of a million people move into the city every single year. And so we have an expanding uh, uh, platform and base and, and mission right here where we live. Before we go on missions to foreign lands, we've got a job to do here in the city of Joburg. And so it is up to us to be equipped and to be switched on and to be activated. As Phil Smith has shared last week through the strategy of heaven. What's the strategy of heaven? It's you. It's us. God is going to use us 
to be on mission in this world. Man, I'm, I'm ready to preach today. So um, is everybody okay today? That was, I didn't even take a breath there. That was amazing. So, um, but, but God is going to do that in our lives. And, uh, and so 1 Corinthians, Paul's actually writing to them. And he says, if you're going to reach the world, you cannot be like the world. If you're going to be making a difference in a city, you have to be different in order to make a difference. And we're not just talking about, you know, modifying your behavior on the outside. We're not just talking about trying to conform to a, a picture of Christianity or a picture that is some expectation that's been placed upon you. We're talking about authentic change. We're talking about trusting in Jesus so that we can really be different. And that means that we have to worship the one who can make us different. That means that we have to lean into the grace of God because let me tell you, you know, the most important thing that you'll hear today is that you cannot be different without the grace of God. Without God's grace, without God's work, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we can only change superficially. Have any of you ever decided that this week you were going to be good? This week you weren't going to get upset in traffic. This week you were just going to be kind to your family. This week you were just going to be nice to your friends. This week you were going to be generous and you were even going to maybe, you know, give some stuff away or do something good and just control yourself, be self-controlled. And you woke up on Monday morning and by about 8.15 a.m. you'd already failed three times. You see, the, more, the harder we try to, to be what we feel we need to be, the more we find we fail. We actually stir up the strength of sin within us. And so we can't change ourselves. We can only hide the things we've been un unable to change. And so Anchor Church is not here. We're not here to tell you to try and change yourself. We're here to tell you about a Jesus who can change you from the inside out. He does it by His grace, and He does it as we behold Him, as we look to Him, as we trust in Him. That's how we change. And so we want to change. We want to be different, but we don't want to be, just be pretending to be different. Amen? Come on, we really want to be different. I just don't want to, I don't want to just act kindly. I actually am asking God to make me kind. I don't want to just act lovingly. I'm, I'm asking God to make me loving. It's something I want to be before it's something that I want to do. And so I'm trusting God for that in my life. And Paul writes to, uh, to the church in Corinth, and he's speaking to them here in 1 Corinthians 10. And he's saying, the problem lies with what you worship. You become what you look up to. You become what you worship. And so I've been saying this to my boys. I've been, you know, my boys are extroverts. And, and if you've ever seen them around here, um, they can get distracted fairly easily. They are all energy and they want to move around and, and so forth. And so getting them to focus is sometimes an issue. And so I've been driving to the school and I come up with little sayings. Sometimes I pull out some classic pastoral cliche preacher sayings. And then I teach them to my boys as these novel things I just thought up of so that I can get them to focus in school. And one of the things that I taught them and that I get them to repeat, I say to them where the focus goes, and then they have to repeat it after me. And so I say that where the focus goes, if you're a preacher, you'll know this, the power flows, right? So, so where the focus goes, so I'm like, if you, if you want to be good at maths, if you focus on your maths and if you focus during maths, guess what? The power will flow there and then you'll be good at maths. If you want to be good at your extramurals, at your rugby or your sport, focus on it and you'll become good at it. But it's true of our spiritual lives. When our focus is on Jesus, our power flows. The power of Jesus flows towards us. And so what we worship 
what we look to, what we trust in, ultimately shapes us. So my question to you today as we go into 1 Corinthians 10 is, what are you worshiping? What are you worshiping not on paper, not if you were filling out a survey or a census, not if you were, if you were asked by your pastor, like I am today asking you, what are you worshiping? But what do you genuinely worship? What do you worship in real terms? If I had to look at your bank account statement, would it give me an indication of the things you really worship? If I were to look at your diary and how you spend your time, would it give me an indication of what you truly look to? In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about idolatry. He's talking to them about idolatry. And yes, they had idols, statues, um, and, and all kinds of false gods that the people in the church of Corinth worshipped and the people of that, of that culture worshipped in that day. And many times we read scriptures and things about idolatry and we think it doesn't apply to me. But it actually does more than we know. In fact, the idols of today are far more sinister and far more, far more powerful and overriding and overwhelming than we even realize. You know why? They don't parade around as idols. They don't label themselves as idols. It would be far easier to avoid an actual statue. If there was a statue that couldn't move around, that just stood in one place, and we were like, I don't want to be involved with idolatry, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says to them in 1 Corinthians 10, flee from idolatry. It would be far easier to run away from a statue. You know what's harder to run away from? The things that we worship in here. The things that we desire in here. What is the difference between just having a desire and turning a desire into an idol? What is the distinction there? You know what it is? Where do you find your significance? Where do you find your worth? Where do you find your, this is such an important word, your security, your safety in life? Because I know for me, one of the clues that I, for example, have worried too much about money. You see, money isn't just an idol when you have too much of it. Money is often an idol when you have too little of it. Because then you're standing there going, I want it because I don't have it. And if I had it, I would feel better about my life. This is why Jesus talks about money as a God, as an idol. You can't worship money and worship God. You're like, I don't worship money. But then have you ever stood in church on a Sunday morning wanting to worship when your bank account was absolutely empty? Like it's the second week of the month and you've got like 4.93 in your bank account. And you worship, and you worship like, dear God, help me. You know, you're just like, you, it, it's so hard. to. Just, but have you ever just had a great month? Maybe you had some extra income, or you sold something, or whatever, and your bank account's full. It's like, let's go to church. Let's worship. And all of a sudden, you're excited. You're greeting people. You're serving. You're helping. You're like, you just feel better about life. It's because you're finding your security there. That's a clue. If we can worship the same with empty bank accounts as we do when we have full ones, then we'll know that we're actually not worshiping money. And so th these are, that's just one example. There's so many other things that we look to for fulfillment, for satisfaction, for wholeness. You know, and, and so the, the issue here isn't the things of themselves. There's nothing evil about money. There's nothing evil about it. It's just a currency. It's just a tool. There's nothing evil about having dreams of success, of wanting a better future. There's nothing wrong with having desires. 
The issue is when our desires have us. It's nothing wrong with owning your things. The problem is when your things own you, when they own your heart, when they take up space in in your, in, in your wholeness, in your, in your health, in your, in your thinking. C.S. Lewis wrote about prosperity this way, and he said, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it. You know, have you ever kind of like moved forward financially and you've gone like, wow, I, I'm finding my place in the world. What's really happening in that moment is that the world is finding its place in you. All the while, it's finding a place of significance in your own heart. My dreams, my future, my finances, my relationships, all the things I want, they end up owning you. And so what if the freedom, the freedom to pursue all of these things, what if the freedom that we seek is actually slavery in disguise? What if we're not working in order to, to move forward in life, but, but we're, we're working because we're afraid of what happened if we don't. We become slaves of fear, worried about our future because these things own us. They, we put our trust in them. They end up being where we find our hope. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.12, we've already covered this uh, previously, but um, in 1 Corinthians 6.12, he quotes the motto the slogan of the city of Corinth, which is everything is permissible. Everything. Here you can come and do what you want. There's freedom. Looks like freedom. So, so Paul says, yes, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So we are free to pursue whatever we desire in our hearts. But the problem is, are we free once we've pursued them? Will we still be free? I could say to you, you're free this morning to go out this weekend and, and, and take some drugs. You're free to do that. Nobody's going to stop you. But will you still be free after you've taken the drugs? That's the real question. You're free to go out and say, I don't have to listen to the, to the pastor or to the, or to the church or to the Bible or to my family or whatever. I can do what I want. The question is, can you stop doing it when you want if you can't stop, you're not free. You're a slave. And so what God has for us is true freedom, true liberty. And so we need to ask ourselves, what are we enlisting for? What are we signing up for when we look for fulfillment in things that will never fulfill us? We're creating insatiable desires. Yeah, that's the thing about all of these idols is that they promise fulfillment, but they only leave you more empty. Jesus was speaking. We, we spoke about this in our series called Soul Winner a few weeks ago uh, when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well and he was identifying something that she was doing as she had made an idol out of relationships. She thought, if I can just find the right man, I'll be fulfilled. And so Jesus says, you've, you've had five. Five husbands, and the one you're currently with is not your husband. He was, Jesus was saying, you're looking to the wrong things for your fulfillment, and it's made you a slave. It leads to further brokenness. This is not what God wants for us. And so Paul is addressing the church in Corinth, 
and all the other things that they're looking to to fulfill them and saying that these things may be great servants, great in the proper place, in the proper context, but they are horrible masters. If you make money your master, if you make sex your master, if you make your desires your master, you will find them to be very, very demanding taskmasters. You'll find yourself broken in the process. And so here's the thing about all of this talk is that it's so easy for us to decide, okay, you know, I'll worship God. I won't make these things an idol in my life. But the thing is, this is the one area where lip service isn't going to cut it. It's the one area where making a little resolution or, or writing it down saying, yes, that's what I would like, or, or agreeing in principle is not actually going to help your life. You know why? Because it is a matter of the heart. You can tell me 1,000 times in a row that you haven't made money your God. But what is happening in your heart is what really matters. You can tell me that Jesus is your focus, your hope, your fulfillment, your satisfaction, your everything. But when you leave these doors, what's happening in your heart? That's why the Bible says that we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, but we believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead. For with our mouths we confess unto righteousness, but with our hearts we are justified. And so it's what's happening in your heart that actually gives credence, that gives weight, that gives, that gives the ability, the power for you to live that different life, for you to truly be free from idols. This is something you can't fake. It's something that you can't pretend in. It's something that you can't, you, you can't uh, fabricate in any way. Hollow religious actions will never be enough. It's something that you either, either believe in your heart or you don't. And so Jesus says this about religious people. Even religion is sometimes what we look to. And in, in uh, Matthew 15 verse 8, Jesus says, These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So can we just agree this morning that that's not going to work? That's not going to help. To say that you love Jesus, to say that you trust in Jesus, but not have your heart connected to what you're saying is just never going to work. So do you truly trust in Jesus this morning? As a heartfelt, authentic, sincere trust in Him? Or is it just something that we come here and do on Sundays? We say that we're worshiping Jesus only to walk out of these doors and look for fulfillment in Everything else but Jesus. Everything else that the world has to offer. That is the definition of idolatry. It is the worship of idols. And it's what Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about here. And he gives them the antidote to slavery, to this slavery, to this, uh, uh, um, you know, just being, being slaves of idolatry. He gives them the antidote. This is how you can be free. This is how you can live truly free. This is how you can, how you can truly walk in everything that God has for you. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, I'm gonna start off with this, you know, towards the end of, of 1 Corinthians 10, because this is where it comes down to. He says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory 
of God. I want to unpack that a little bit in a message today entitled, Whatever You Do. Whatever You Do. Have you ever, has anybody ever said the statement, whatever you do to you? It's usually when people say that, it's pretty important. You know, you, gotta, you, you perk up and you listen because what comes after the whatever you do sounds like it's going to be pretty important, right? So I remember once uh, being on a game drive um, out near the Kruger and, uh, and we were doing a night drive and driving out and, uh, and all of a sudden we came across a leopard that was kind of hunting along the side of the road. And uh, this leopard walked up and it was looking in the bushes and uh, it walked around the vehicle and it, it wasn't even aware of us until a certain moment where it, it made like direct eye contact with us and then walked right up to the side of the vehicle, focused now only on us. We, wasn't, we weren't sure if this leopard had picked out somebody in the you know, vehicle that kind of looked like a juicy snack or something. But the leopard walked right up to the side of the vehicle and just stared up at us. And I was sitting on that side. And in that moment, the ranger switched all the lights off and said, whatever you do, don't move. We did not move, right? For two minutes, at least, we sat in that absolute darkness, not sure what the leopard was doing at that point. We weren't sure if it was going to try and climb up, but the ranger felt it was important to put us into utter darkness and just wait to see if we're all going to die. Unfortunately, when we switched the lights back on, the leopard had, had moved off. But when somebody says, whatever you do, you know that what follows is very important. When you hear whatever you do, do not push the red button. Whatever you do, do not answer the question, do these pants make me look fat? Whatever you do, do not laugh at the guy with the gun. And whatever you do, do not put your hand in the police van to pat the big dog, right? Those are some important things that whenever you hear whatever you do, you know that you should do whatever is coming next. And so the Bible has a whatever you do, and that whatever you do is do it to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That's something that we've heard so honest, so, so, so often. But honestly, most of the time, it feels very disconnected from our lives. What, what does it even mean to do all to the glory of God? Like, what does that look like? And that's what I want to help us with this morning. Because if the Bible says, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God, Already some of us are like, yeah, but that's within measure. You know, that's like an overall general kind of thing. It doesn't apply to how I have breakfast in the morning or how I sit in traffic or what I do at work or, you know, can I watch TV or buy groceries to the glory of God? How would that work? Can I play golf to the glory of God? I definitely cannot. But, uh, you know, how do we do these everyday things to the glory of God? In 1 Corinthians 10, as we said, Paul's talking about idolatry, speaking about what we worship and what we hold to in order to save us and deliver us and to fulfill us. And so I always kind of mention both sides of this coin because I feel it's, it's so important that we understand this. But there are two ways that we commit idolatry. The first one is by doing evil things, as Paul addresses sexual immorality you know, uh, pride, grumbling, uh, you know, uh, lust, desires, greed, all those kinds of things. And we do evil things because we are ultimately worshiping the outcomes that we want there. That's the one very obvious way. 
What I, as a pastor, feel more inclined to focus on is not the overt, obvious ways that people commit idolatry and, and fall into sin, but it is the, the subtle ways, because I feel that they're more powerful. You know, to me, I remember a while back, uh, Lady Gaga did a, a, um, a concert in South Africa. And I remember how a lot of Christians were in uproar because of some of her music videos and some of her songs and, and talking about the demonic influence there and whatever. I remember a friend of mine that actually was on his way to that concert and he tweeted out, so far the only thing demonic about this concert is the traffic. Um, you know, and it's like, and people are like, oh, stay away. It's like the idol. It's like the statue. Stay away from, from the Lady Gaga concert because it's going to lead you into, I don't know what, idolatry in some sense. But, you know, those same people who would stay away from the concert are in love with so many other subtle little things that they look to that have crept in through the culture of this world that tell them if you're going to be happy, you have to drive a nice car. You have to, otherwise you won't be happy. So they don't talk about the car, but they, they talk about the concert. You see, the, it's the subtle things, the cultural things that creep in, that become a part of our belief system that I believe is the greater threat to how we live our lives. And sometimes we just have to ask the questions, what am I allowing in my life that I shouldn't be allowing? Even subtle little things. And one of those things that comes through is not just the overt sinful things that we would all classify as sin, but the second way we commit adultery is by doing good things without Jesus. Good things without Jesus. Oh, it fulfills me to give to charity. It's a good thing. But so often in the process, we become prideful. I am a good person because I give to charity. And I am not like other people who don't give to charity because I gave to charity. And I will again, whenever I feel a little low, I'll give again and I'll feel good about myself again. You are making yourself your own idol. See, sometimes it's not, you know, true Christianity isn't about being good. It's about coming to Jesus and saying, I know I'm not good. And so I worship you, Jesus, so that you can do something in me I can do for myself. What we do in this process, even as Christians, is that we externalize glorifying God. We make it all about something external as opposed to something internal in our hearts. So, so how do we glorify God? Okay, I mentioned breakfast. Okay, so if you want to glorify God in your breakfast, then make sure you pray before you eat. If you're going to glorify God in traffic, we had one guy who used to come to Anchor Church. He would stick scriptures all over his car. And I said, oh, do you think that's a good idea? What happens when you cut someone off in traffic? Now they're going to be mad at you and God. Some people think if I can stick scriptures on my car, then I'm glorifying God in traffic. How about work? Okay, I'm going to email this Christian email. Will you, will you say amen and pass this on to a thousand friends? If you want a miracle, buy tomorrow or whatever. I'm going to forward that email because now I'm glorifying God in my work. We're externalizing. When we're watching TV, we're just going to watch Christian TV or maybe PG-13 and under movies. We're going to drop our cents into the charity tin at the grocery store while doing our groceries. And when we play golf, we will not swear when we miss that putt. This is how we're now glorifying God. We're externalizing it. 
and we're missing something in there. Paul's addressing this kind of thinking with the church in, in, in uh, Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10 because they were externalizing the glorifying of God to boiling it down to rules and regulations. If you're going to glorify God, then you must not, you must abstain from food, for example, that has been offered to idols. That was a practice in that day. They would take the food, they would pray over it, they would offer it to idols. And so if you're going to be a true Christian, the church in Corinth said, then you should not eat that food. So they put certain rules and things in place that said, if this has been offered to an idol, you shouldn't eat it. Any of you have ever been to you know, Woolies and picked up a pack and goes, it says halal. What does that mean? Is that, can, I, can I partake? Like, I'm a Christian, but can I eat this? We wonder, like, is it okay for me to partake in these different things? So Paul is saying to them, first of all, in the church of Corinth, don't think that you are right with God by what you do. Because you're turning that thing, for example, food, into an idol. You're actually turning the food into an idol when you do that. And so he says, even if meat has been placed before you that was sacrificed to an idol, eat it. Don't even ask or raise one question about conscience. Don't even do it. Because you know why? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We belong to God. We are bought by the blood of Jesus. And it's not the things that we eat that defile us. It's not the things that go into our mouths that defile us as we eat and drink, is what Paul's saying. It's the things that come out of our mouths from our hearts. Again, it's a heart issue. So, you know, people get weary about, you know, you, you bought that, that little, you know, elephant in the, in, the, in the Far East, and maybe it has some demonic significance or you know, or a, or a mask from Africa. Can you hang it in your wall if it represents? I just pray over it. It now also belongs to Jesus, and now I have no more worry about it. Because I'm not, I'm not going to put more faith in some mask or some, you know, ornament than I put in the blood of Jesus. We, and this is my personal belief, but where I am, because I belong to God, everything is in sub submission to Christ. I don't fear those things. We walk in victory. We dominate. We are not dominated. Right? And so, and so we don't have to worry about all these things. And so in the same way, Paul said, if somebody puts something that's actually been sacrificed to idols before you, eat it. He says, what are idols anyways? What are the idols? Do they actually even exist? He says, no. They're just statues. Let me see if I can find this spot for you here. He says this. He says, therefore, beloved. Okay, I want to go here. Therefore, beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as, sensible, as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation is it not in the participation of the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one body, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. And he goes on there to say, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply 
that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? He goes on then to say, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And I'll unpack that a little bit in a moment. But what he's saying is, is that you cannot put your faith in the blood of Jesus, when we take communion, what we're saying is that we are one with Christ, that we partake of his cup. We already have been made right through the cup and the blood and the body of Jesus that was broken. If we're one with Jesus, then we cannot at the same time put our faith in things that are sacrificed to idols. What is an idol? It's nothing. He says, but the problem is, It's not really about whether you're eating or drinking. It's not really about whether it was offered to an idol or not. What he's saying is, it's actually what the pagans are doing, is that they're not just eating the things. The power isn't in the things. It's in what they worship. And what are they truly worshiping? Ultimately, it's demons. Ultimately, it's it's Satan. And so all of these things that we've mentioned, real life things, because you might be thinking, yeah, I haven't eaten anything sacrificed to an idol in a while. But like I said, in all those things that tempt us in this world, in this culture, to give up what the Scriptures have proclaimed over us, the Bible says you cannot be one with Christ having drank the cup of His blood in communion, having partaken of that bread that is His body, and at the same time worship things that cannot fulfill you, at the same time worship Satan and his culture and all the things that he is trying to impress on you. So being right with God is not about the food that you eat or the things that you do. We mustn't build memorials to our own actions, but the antidote again is eat of Jesus. That's communion. And so I would encourage you, how about this week we do this? How about every single day this week we personally take communion? If you don't have any, you know, grape juice or whatever, just take anything. Take a little cup of water. If you don't have, you know, bread, you should have bread, but grab a biscuit. Grab whatever you can find in the house. Just get two elements that to you in that moment represent Jesus' blood and Jesus' body. And sit down and remind yourself every single morning when you get up that you are one with Jesus. And that Jesus is one with you, that he, that we abide in him, that our hope is in him, that we are of him. And guess what? You'll get up from taking communion, from partaking of the body and the blood of Jesus. You'll get up and you'll go out. And you won't necessarily do something different in traffic, but you'll be different in traffic. You won't necessarily eat your breakfast differently, but you'll be different while you eat your breakfast. And this is how we know that we're beginning to live for the glory of God when we're living from what God is doing on the inside of us. Martin Luther says this. He says, to honor God is to believe that what he said was true is to believe what he said was true. 
Our motivation is to glorify God, not with pretend holiness where we're actually wanting to glorify ourselves, but by trusting in Jesus. And that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to start living for the glory of God. I love the scripture that we find, and I've mentioned this before, but 1 Samuel 5, verse 1 to 4, is just one of my favorite passages of scripture. It's when the the, uh, Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence in their lives. And they took this ark and they wanted to put it in a room with their own idol, Dagon, a statue that they had to the God, Dagon. It says in 1 Samuel 5 verse 1, when the Philistines captured the ark of of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. That's what we do. That's why Jesus is saying, you you can't be worshiping demons, which is the real heart of idolatry, and be worshiping God at the same time. Jesus says, you can't have two masters. You can't serve money and serve God at the same time because you will either love one or hate the other, but you cannot love both. And so we need to make a decision about who we're going to worship. The Philistines didn't know this. They thought they could put the Ark of the Covenant right next to, in the same room, with an idol. This is a hopeful scripture for us. When the people of Ashdod arose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And they come into the room and that statue is lying down on its face. I'm not sure what they thought happened in that moment, but they took Dagon and put him back in his place. Let me, let me just say this. If, you can, if you're the one that has to hold your own idol up, that has to put your own idol back into place, it's probably not an all-powerful God. It's probably not the creator of heaven and earth. If it's something that you can fashion with your own hands, then it's probably not worthy of your worship. They take him, they put him back up, But when they arose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord again. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. The trunk of Dagon was left to him. Here's the hopeful thing. How do we resist idolatry? How do we flee from idolatry, which is, which is what Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. How do we do it? You know how you do it? Bring the ark of the covenant in. Bring the presence of God in. Abide in Jesus. Look to Jesus. And what happens is is that when you put Jesus as the center of your life, when you are committed to having Jesus as the center of your life, every one of those idols begin to topple. And even when you try and put them back up again, you'll come back again and find now not only has it fallen down, but it's actually shattered. It's broken. It's lost its, 
its head and its hands, its ability. And so the true answer to how we can overcome idolatry in our lives and how we can, how we can faithfully glorify God through our lives is worship. Genuine worship, which is a response to the revelation of what God has done for us. If you worship Jesus every day, your idols will not be able to stand because you cannot serve two gods. Amen? I want to encourage you to do that this week. Spend a bit of time every day, whether it's morning or evening. Even if it's 10 minutes, take communion. Remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you. Worship God. Say one prayer and then go out and live your life and see how differently you'll begin to think and how differently you'll begin to do. Amen. Whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with me this morning as we pray?